This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. And welcome in our first post-Christmas edition of Late Kick. It is Tuesday, December 27th, the year of our Lord still, 2022. No wasted wrapping paper here. We just got a jam-packed show right here presented to the world, free for all to enjoy, brought to you, as always, by Academy Sports and Outdoors. We're jam-packed. We are high atop on a, a, a very inspired downtown Nashville, Tennessee tonight. The best and worst stories from the Every Given Saturday Tour. You have asked for it for months, and I'm going to deliver it to you tonight. Oklahoma and Texas. Looks like they may head to the SEC a little bit sooner than nature anticipated. Are they ready, though? That's another question a lot of you want. We got bold predictions revisited. Our favorite series continues. Whose stock is rising as a program? Talk about coaches all the time. But some of these programs out there, some of these teams that kind of got tossed by the wayside early in the year, they came on strong. What do we think about them down the stretch? They're watching us in Bowling Green, Kentucky, Joplin, Missouri, Corpus Christi, Texas, Bakersfield, California. It's been a great year. We appreciate you guys so much. Also. Got a little surprise for you. Second half of the show tonight. Just stay tuned. Got a little surprise for you. So with that in mind, let's dive in here. I want to start with bold predictions tonight. Sometimes we bury this third or fourth segment in the show, but I actually wanted to start with this tonight. The bold predictions, as you gave them to me in August, the rules were only have one requirement. You have to be willing to bet your money on them. And thus the paper popped because the first one came oh so close. I don't even think this first bold prediction should be a loss. Listen to what it was from Camden. He said, Hendon Hooker will be a Heisman finalist at the end of the season. I put an eight on this in terms of boldness when Camden originally sent it to us. And I said a couple of things. Jesse reminded me earlier today. I gave a couple of what I thought were prerequisites, which is always a tough word for me to say, that I thought had to happen for this to happen. One of them actually did occur. I thought Tennessee had to hit the over on their win total. Jesse, I think you told me it was seven and a half, and they ended up winning, uh, obviously, nine games. I think it were nine and three. So they hit that. What didn't happen that I thought needed to happen was I thought Hendon Hooker needed to have like a thousand more passing yards than he did last year. And he had, he had a little over 2,900 a year ago. He had 3,135 this year. So he had more, but not a thousand yards more. He had five or he had four fewer touchdowns passing this year than he did last year. 
What happened? What was the difference? Why was his name so much at the forefront of the Heisman conversation? The Alabama game. That's what happened. The Florida game, he had a big, he had a big day. The Bama game, though, that's what put him on the radar. They hung half a hundred on Bama. They beat Alabama. That was, that was a Heisman moment, which is not a phrase we use a whole lot on this show, but it was a Heisman moment. And yet he still, in my opinion, got screwed out of a Heisman finalist position. So I, Camden, agree with you. I think you were right. Even though it didn't happen, I actually, um, I don't think this was a bad prediction at all. It was bold, but it was a good, bold prediction. Next up, I don't really know what to make of this next one. Mike said Utah is going to beat USC by double digits. Well, on one hand, this was wrong. 43 to 42 was the final when these two hooked up in Salt Lake City. Both of them had over 500 total yards of offense. We remember that game. That was, a, that was on a Saturday that I think probably yielded the single biggest day of upsets. Multiple field stormings that day, uh, the entire season. So that was, that was part one. As it turned out, there was a part two to this. It was called the Pac-12 Championship Game. And that's where Mike hit pay dirt because it was 47 to 24 Utah wins. Now, here's what's funny. You know, the Pac-12 Championship Game happens on a Friday. So if you, you know, if you live like Colin, if you have a really bubbly social life outside of work, sometimes you can't just settle down and watch a college football game on a Friday. So picture the Collins of the world. You know, they're getting ready to go out and they're, they're putting on their sequin vest. I don't know what he wears. But you see the first few minutes of the USC-Utah game, right? And USC's leading 17-3. to And you say, well, USC's going to the playoff. Click! And then he goes about his merry way. And then imagine Colin, 1.30 in the morning, walking home from Broadway, and he sees the final score. What happened? What happened? Well, the Caleb, Caleb Williams injury happened, but also a 44-7 Utah run happened. You see, Caleb Williams doesn't play defense. So uh, Utah pulled out the sledgehammer, and they used it repeatedly. And it turns out Utah did beat USC by double digits this year. It just didn't happen in the regular season. Next up, we're talking about a little playoff prediction here that went awry pretty early for Chris. Chris predicted that Oklahoma was going to go 11-1 and and make the playoff and win a semifinal game. I had stats and info checked to be sure. Oklahoma is not in the playoff. Uh, they did not go 11-1, and and obviously, therefore, they will not win a playoff game. This was done by week five. Remember, they had that stretch there where they lost to Kansas State, then they lost to TCU, and then there was a question of, well, certainly they're not going to lose three in a row. Certainly they'll play for pride against Texas. 49 to nothing, they lost to Texas. Uh, the Dylan Gabriel injury was catastrophic for this team. And uh, we looked at them in the preseason. In fact, I think we did a segment in the preseason about the players that were the most important to their teams. Dylan Gabriel was one because they just didn't have an option behind him at quarterback. And you saw it. They were the preseason favorites, but totally reliant on him in the Big 12. They ended up 6-6, six and six, and uh, that's about all she wrote for that prediction, Chris. I put an 8 on it. Probably should have been a wee bit higher than that even. Next up, this one made no sense to me. I, I remember having to apologize afterwards because I, I kind of went after Connor a little bit on this one. I went, I shouldn't have. But Connor said Alabama will not have a single 1,000-yard receiver this year, but Bryce Young nearly matches his production from a year ago. 
which I just mathematically didn't think was possible. You're talking about a guy coming off a Heisman Trophy campaign, by the way. So the numbers were not also ran type numbers. They were, they were astronomically good numbers. And uh, it's not like Bryce had a bad year this year. His pass yards per game were down around 50 some odd yards. Uh, completion percentage ticked down two to three percentage points. But it was the not having a thousand yard receiver prediction and him matching the production that I didn't think could happen. I mean, certainly he could match last year's production, but you're going to have to have at least one receiver, if not a couple of them, flirting with 1,000 yards. As it turns out, Ja'Cory Brooks led Alabama in receiving yards this year with 623. Jermaine Burton was second. He didn't, he didn't even top 600 yards. Uh, that's pretty staggering to look at. It looked for a while like Jameer Gibbs may lead him in receiving yards, and he was a running back. So I put a 9.5 on that one. I never thought that one had a shot. Uh, nor did I think this one had a shot. I put a nine and a half on this one, too. <sighs> Mall Cop 7 predicted Kanata Mumfield puts up better numbers than Jordan Addison. Jordan Addison, kids, once upon a time, didn't play for USC. Once upon a time, before he made his way out west, he played for Pitt, and he won something called the Bolitnikoff. They claim to give that to the best receiver in the country. Now, I would argue Jamison Williams should have won that award. Be that as it may, Jordan Addison had an incredible year. He was a worthy candidate at the very least. And he had uh, 15, nearly 1,600 receiving yards. How did Kenyatta Mumfield fare this year? He had 473. Jordan Addison had twice as many receptions. Uh, he had about four times as many receiving yards. He had nearly 16 yards per reception. Kenyatta Mumfield about nine. And then there's the old touchdown statistic where we had an edge to Jordan Addison 17 to 1. It should also be noted Jared Wayne actually was a thousand yard receiver on this team this year. So Kenyatta Mumfield, God bless him, he wasn't even the best receiver on his team this year. This had no shot of happening. I put a nine and a half on it. There are a couple of predictions that you guys made that were nine and a half or higher that ended up hitting. Those were not among them. Academy Sports and Outdoors, I think, made a lot of people happy recently. We're what, like 48 hours removed from Christmas, I think, that a lot of you had some dreams come true. And um, what can I say? It's this brand right behind me, Academy Sports and Outdoors, both figuratively, well, literally, they have a monitor behind me right now. Figuratively, they've got our backs every step of the way. I know I've said this a lot, but we get so many new viewers and listeners per show that I have to remind you, we, we have a lot of fancy equipment. We have a uh, staff here, we've got a nice studio, and we get to still bring you the show for free because of Academy Sports and Outdoors. They don't make us charge a dime for it, uh, so they, they write the checks, they keep the lights on here, they make sure the AC and the heat works, and we just get to do the show, and you get to be the beneficiaries. So what am I telling you that for? I'm telling you so that you'll appreciate Academy Sports and Outdoors and also understand they got a lot of stuff you'll need in your life. Some of you just needed it for Christmas. And some of you are going to need it because the weather's always changing. Sporting seasons are always changing. You need new clothes. You pretty much need a lot of stuff they've got there. So Academy Sports and Outdoors, your one-stop shop for a lot of your life essentials and academy.com if you cannot get there in person. I am looking very much forward to this next question because it has been, oh, I don't know, an entire season since one of these things happened. So here's where we're going to go here. I'm going to dive into the mailbag, 
And we're going to lead it off with a question that a lot of you guys ask weekly. And I told you, you got to wait till the end of the year. Well, here we are. We're at the end of the regular season. So everything's in the books in regards to the Every Given Saturday Tour. Pop it on me, Colin. That first question from Garrett Jennings tonight. He said, you promised the best and worst stories from the Every Given Saturday Tour this year. So let's hear them from Warner Robins, Georgia. That I did, Garrett. And I knew you wouldn't forget. So here we go. Right here to, to wrap up 2022 almost. I'm going to do the best story first. We had, we had a little internal debate here. Should we go negative or positive first? We're going to go positive first. So the date was October 22nd. I was in Eugene, Oregon. First visit ever to the great Pacific Northwest. And I went out to Oregon and I, I wanted to get to the Pac-12. So we got to the Pac-12. But I, I wanted to um, see both of those teams. It was UCLA versus Oregon. You guys remember this. It was a pretty good back and forth game. So anyway... I'm out there on a Friday night. This first part's not even the, the good part of the story. It's just a part of the story. I'm out there on Friday night. I had already been over at the facility earlier that day. Me and, um, I think I was alone that day. We were doing some hits for CBS. So then you normally go back to your hotel room. Sometimes I'll go back over to the facility when coaches are free a little bit later in the night and I'll meet with them. So I was over at the facility Friday night talking to some of the Oregon coaches. I had them take me over to the stadium because I had never been in Autzen Stadium before. I always like to get that Friday night alone in the stadium video if I can. That's really fun. So anyway, that was, that was a nice precursor. And I thought that that would probably be the highlight of the week, right? And it was still a highlight of the week, but it wasn't the only highlight of the week. Game day arrives. And I'm at the stadium. We've already done all of our pregame hits. I'm totally done. I'm, I, I mean, I am the most blessed person in the world because all I have to do during games is just stand on the sideline and watch the game. It's great. So I go up the tunnel. UCLA is about to take the field. Now, let me, let me preface this. I know Dan Lanning. I've never met Chip Kelly in my life. I have never, to this point, to this point in time, I had never spoken to Chip Kelly in my life. I had never met him before. I had never spoken a single word to him. Never sent so much as a telegram back and forth with the guy. Here comes UCLA, not to take the field for warm-ups. They're taking the field, game's about to start. And so they're coming down the tunnel. It's a really, really long tunnel, so you can see them coming a mile away. So I've got the eye josh pulled out. I'm a film UCLA walk by. I put a lot of that on Instagram for you guys to see. So I'm filming, and Chip Kelly, about the time he gets close to me, he kind of signals for his team, just kind of go ahead without me. And he sort of diverts his path, and he comes over to me. Unfortunately, I stopped recording at that point. So I have no clue what's about to happen. He leans in like he's about to tell me something. And I had no clue what was about to happen. I just know I've never met him before. And he leans in and he says, hey, I got something to tell you. Nothing perfect lasts forever except in your memory. And then he shook my hand and he walked away. If you're new to the show, you probably have no clue what that means. If you've watched or listened to this show for a long time, you may not remember what that means. But if you've paid extra close attention, you know I've told you a few times, one of my favorite movies is A River Runs Through It. My favorite movie poster, period, of all time, is A River Runs Through It. I don't care if you've never seen the movie. The poster alone for A River Runs Through It, just a picture of a guy fly fishing out in rural Montana, it's great. On that movie poster is the quote, Nothing perfect lasts forever 
except in your memory. I had mentioned that quote on this show a few times. Chip Kelly had seen it somehow on the show. He had no clue he was going to see me that day. It's just somehow when he saw me as he was headed down the tunnel, that quote triggered in his mind and he walked over, gave it to me and then went on about his way. It jarred me for a second because I had to think to myself like, well, how, how did this just happen? So it wasn't until he was all the way out on the field that I realized, oh, oh no, wait, he must have heard me say that on the... And then I put two and two together. Hey, man, since then I've taught Chip Kelly a couple more times. So it's been great. But that little moment there, which I have not told until now. I haven't told anyone that story except Jesse and Colin, basically. Um, that was a classic moment. That was great. Because that's still, now forever, my favorite movie poster quote of all time. And it was the one thing that Chip Kelly thought of when he saw me for the first time and spoke to me for the first time. So that was really cool. Uh, not nearly as fun a story was back in week one. And I have told even less people this story. Jesse and Colin, though, still know. Some of you may have noticed when I was doing the Cincinnati-Arkansas game, if you watch our coverage over on CBS Sports HQ on Saturdays, or if you follow me on Instagram, you may have noticed I was wearing sunglasses. And uh, that doesn't stand out too much. It's, it's still summer. It's the middle of the day. It, crazier things have happened. People wear sunglasses. Now, you know, maybe not so much when they're doing a live shot, but people have worn sunglasses before. Well, I don't, on air at least. I, I've never worn sunglasses. Why was that? Well, here's what happened. All of a sudden, uh, inexplicably, like uh, two weeks before the season started, I started waking up in the morning. First thing I'll do, obviously, is, you know, take the protein and whatnot, and then I'll open my laptop and start to get to work the illumination from my laptop was making me squint. Like it was bright. And it, it started getting precipitously worse day by day. And then all of a sudden, I couldn't go outside in the middle of the day and like normally look around without squinting and without like shielding my eyes. And I got so sensitive to light, I eventually had to start wearing sunglasses. Then it was so bad, it was like overcast that morning in Fayetteville. But just the LED lights, that uh, Greg Gelber uses, our, our crack production guy out on the road. I couldn't even bear the LED lights, and that's just what they use to illuminate your face. So I had to wear sunglasses. I had no clue what was happening. Also had blurry vision in one eye. So I have light sensitivity, uh, partial blindness, had no clue why, was just trying to hide it. So I had to ask myself, what has changed about me over the past six months? And I narrowed it down to one thing, I had been drinking a lot of Star <clears throat> a Brands cold brew coffee in the can, room temperature, of course. And I'd been chugging about half a dozen of them per day, uh, certainly more than the prescribed amount. Well, I realized, hey, that's changed. I just started drinking these things recently, so I cut them. Cold turkey. Good for me, by the way. Uh, light sensitivity was gone within 48 hours. Vision totally rectified within 48 hours. And so the moral of the story, kids, is I will never drink a can of cold brew fill-in-the-blank brand coffee again in my life. Why? Because I enjoy being able to see and I enjoy not having to squint when someone turns the lights on. Those were the best and worst stories of the Every Given Saturday Tour this year. Told you they deliver. <laughs> Those aren't the only stories. Those are just the best. I, I should have said the best and worst that I can share.
I, yeah, that's probably the way we should have arranged that. Uh, let me take a little sip from the chalice right quick. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast introducing the two-way v4 where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance with fuel cell each step feels explosive delivering unparalleled energy return paired with fresh foam experience maximum comfort throughout the game its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition the two-way v4 gives you the tools to play at a high level learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com Okay, let's roll on. Really serious question here. Sandy wants to know, what's Jim Harbaugh's legacy if he wins the national title from Kalamazoo, Michigan? Do you have an answer for that, by the way? Think about that if you're listening or watching. What is his legacy? Does his legacy change? Well, yeah, of course it changes if he wins a national title. I was thinking about this, and it's easy to just say, oh, he's he's a legendary coach. Well, yeah. But what's his legacy? And when we're talking legacy, that extends beyond Michigan. What is his legacy to college football? I think that it would be really, really noteworthy and historic. Now, I want you to remember the story. You can't, if, if Harbaugh wins a national championship, you can't tell the story of Michigan 2022 without going way back before the season starts. Because you got to go back the last several years when they had lost to Ohio State then finally got over that hump last year. Then you've also got to tell the story about them getting beat pretty soundly by Georgia. Who knows? Maybe that's who they beat to win the national title this year, if it happens. And you've got to tell the story about Harbaugh trying to get the Vikings job. We're talking about his legacy, right? National signing day of earlier this year. Do you remember what happened? We were, I guess, down in Fort Lauderdale. We were doing a signing day show. Everyone's Everyone's looking to put the finishing pieces on their class. Jim Harbaugh was interviewing for the Vikings job on signing day. Do you remember? Yeah, now you remember, right? Yeah, people had forgotten about that. It hasn't even been a year, guys, but it's already a distant memory because when he checked back in, he didn't get the job. Uh, he lost both of his coordinators. It, it certainly hasn't hamstrung them a bit this year, but when he checked back in, see, I remember over the spring and summer, 
one of the big talking points around that program was, ooh, Harbaugh, what if he mentally checked out and, and he didn't get that job, but what if his heart's not really in it? Well, I remember listening to Sam Webb and some of the folks close, close, close to the Michigan program, and they were adamant. We're not predicting they're going to win the title this year, but it won't be because this staff's not checked in. They, they have no concern internally about that. So I believed them, and that has proven itself to be the case. So that's part one of that legacy. Part two of that legacy would be he's accomplished something if he wins a title that, that no Michigan coach has accomplished this millennium, and he will have done it his way. You know, there was a little while there where you started to look at him. I did, too. I started to look at him as the game was evolving. Even Nick Saban overhauled what he did. And Nick Saban, at one point, seemed as married to a certain offensive philosophy as anyone. And when Saban, when the Sabans of the world are even adapting, you look at Jim Harbaugh and he's doing the same old stuff he's always done and you just think, oh boy, is he just happy relegating himself to maybe an eight or nine win ceiling? Or at 10 wins, but they're not going to beat Ohio State like this, are they? And it didn't look like it for a while. And then all of a sudden they did last year. Then they do it again this year, and it no longer looks like it was some one-year accident. It wasn't a product of the weather. It wasn't just home field advantage. They did it again, and they did it with a different quarterback than they did a year earlier, and they did it with different coordinators in your own building. If they go on to win the national title on top of that, you're talking about a Michigan legend, but you're talking about a college football legend because I'll tell you what would happen. You know this is true. Immediately. After that maize and blue confetti gets done raining down in Los Angeles, I guess is where we'll be, I think a lot of staffs will do what they do every time someone wins a title, and they'll look at what won, and they'll say, should we duplicate that? Well, for a while, what, is that, what has that been synonymous with? It's been synonymous with, ooh, should we overhaul our passing game? Should we learn from the route concepts they use? Should we, use, should we learn from the recruiting profile? that they used at receiver and quarterback. Well, now Georgia won it last year, doing it not that way. And if Michigan were to win it, doing it the way that Harbaugh's always done it, uh, that's, that's adding to kind of a legacy and a, a new pendulum swing, if you will, in college football that was kind of started from Kirby Smart last year. Uh, that'd be interesting. But as for Harbaugh's legacy, he will have accomplished everything you could ever dream, hope and dream that he could accomplish if they win the national championship. I mean, from that point forward, it wouldn't matter. He could interview for NFL jobs as long as he wants to. He, by the way, and I respect him for this, he has never apologized for that. And they've, they've asked him to. They've asked him, hey, do you regret interviewing for that Vikings job? He said, I don't regret that. I wanted the job. You know, I, I wanted to coach in the NFL again. I think he still wants to coach in the NFL again. I have talked to several people at that level who say, yeah, we think he's going to be a coach here again someday. Uh, don't know when, but in the meantime, you can't complain if you're a Michigan fan because, hey, not only is your program rolling, but also if he were to leave tomorrow, like if they win the title and the next day he takes the, I don't know, whoever jobs, whoever's job opens up, uh, man, how attractive is that Michigan job? Not that it ever hasn't been, but it's as attractive now as it has been in a long, long time. So, yeah, I think his legacy would be more than solidified. Make sure if you're watching, uh, remember to subscribe to the channel and like the video. It helps us out a whole lot. Those subscriptions help us out a whole lot. The likes do too. And the comments. I appreciate it all. 
Next question. This one's getting a little more convoluted here. Jack asked, do you think Oklahoma and Texas are going to be in the SEC by 2024? Do I think they'll be ready from Campbellsville, Kentucky? I'm leaning yes. I think they will be. I don't have guided information on this. I'm just sort of reading tea leaves along with the rest of you. Here's what's in play. First, I'll explain to you what it's going to take. Uh, the Big 12 has final say right now. So they've got a contract with ESPN and Fox. And what we're asking here, if you're on the SEC side of things, what you're trying to do is have the Big 12 let them get out of their contract a year early. They're, they're leaving in 2025 anyway, but can they get out a year early? Well, what's being negotiated right now, Dennis Dodd has done some really good reporting on this. What's being negotiated right now is what can you give us? The Big 12 is saying, what can you give us in exchange? And one of the theories floated out there is the SEC may agree to some out-of-conference home-and-home games where you know Florida goes to Oklahoma State or Auburn goes to TCU. Or hey, how about this radical concept? Oklahoma goes to Oklahoma State. Could it happen? I don't know. But that's inventory. That's a, that's a barter. That's inventory in exchange for letting them out of their contract a year early. I think they'll end up coming to a resolution. I don't think it's at the finish line yet, but I think if, if someone puts a hard deadline on the calendar and you realize, like you do the night before that class project is due, there's the deadline. They're going to get serious, and I think they're going to figure that out. Now, as for whether they're ready or not, this is a question I have trouble with because I don't really know what it means. Do you mean, are they ready to win a national championship immediately? They're not ready to do that right now. So no, the answer is no, they wouldn't be ready uh, right that second, unless there's just radical change between this time uh, and next year. Uh, but at the same time, the reason that I sound sarcastic when I'm saying that is because I am. Who in the SEC is ready to win a national championship? Alabama wasn't even ready this year. Now, Bama's a really good program, so I'm, I'm just joking about them. But is, is Auburn ready to be in the SEC? Is Florida ready to be in the SEC? Like, there's, there's several programs down here that are in the SEC that, that have not looked good as of late. So, are, are they ready? I don't know if they're ready, but I will say this. I think that the investment and infrastructure is there for them to be a top-level SEC program. So, Texas and Oklahoma, if you were to look at the intangibles and the tangibles in terms of resource, they're not really taking back seats there all that much. So, they've got those boxes checked. If you're looking at line of scrimmage recruiting, Texas has really upped their game in that department. I think Oklahoma has started to up their game in that department. I don't think that there'll be a massive gulf between them and, and the week-to-week -week competition here. Uh, but at the same time, it's going to be a transition. Brent Venables was talking about this the day he walked in uh, the door in Norman. He said, we got to start getting ready for this move a couple of years down the road because I know what it's about. It's a little bit different. And he wasn't really saying it to be disrespectful of the Big 12, but he knows the line of scrimmage athlete or athleticism is different in that league than the kind of guys he's going to face week to week down in the SEC. So I don't know that they'll be ready in terms of just immediately hitting the ground running. They're not going to do in the SEC what USC almost just did in the Pac-12, for example. I wouldn't think that. But I also don't think that they're just going to come down here and get body bagged every week. There's this weird belief that they're going to walk in and just get cattle prodded in the neck week after week. I don't think that's the case at all. What I do think is going to happen 
is eventually they'll settle in to the pecking order of the SEC. And your, your programs out there that, that historically are upper tier three, lower tier two, are going to find out they just got knocked two rungs further down the pecking order. And that's not something anyone's really thinking about right now. Next up, 2024. Ugh, man, that's a long time away. Tyler asked, did Dave Aranda and Matt Campbell make a mistake not following the Luke Fickle approach of jumping at a bigger job when it was available? It seems like their stock isn't nearly as high anymore. Tyler, I'm glad you asked this question because I meant to do a segment on it like two weeks ago and I forgot all about it. So thank you, sir. We're talking about Matt Campbell, the head coach at Iowa State. And look, and we're talking about Dave Aranda, the head coach at Baylor. So the first thing we have to address is are those guys happy at their jobs? And uh, some people will never believe that you could be happy and content at Baylor or Iowa State. Well, I've been around both of those guys, and I've never gotten the inclination that they're just itching to up and leave on the first thing smoking out of town. I've never gotten that inclination. Doesn't mean they believe they're going to be there the next 30 years either, though. So the question is, should they have been more aggressive when their stock was peaking. For Aranda, that would have been last year. Uh, for Campbell, it would have been any of the last number of years. This year, uh, they, they went 4-8 and eight at Iowa State. And that was after a run from 2017. They had eight wins, eight wins the next year, seven wins the next year, nine wins the next year. They were 7-6 and six last year with a bunch of close losses. Should he have jumped? Well, where is he jumping? And where did he have offers? And where does he want to go? Those are the questions you have to, to ask yourself. And I, well, we really have to ask him. We're not asking ourselves. I, I don't know that he's been in a hurry to leave. I don't know that Dave Aranda is in a hurry to leave. I think both of the guys feel there may be a step up for me one day, but I'm really happy where I am. Both of those guys blend seamlessly into the cultures of the respective programs they're at right now. And I, what they don't want to do, I don't think, is they don't want to move on and then realize 90 days into their new address, man, what, did I do this just for the sake of doing it? Like, I was happy. I was content. Did I move just because everyone else thought I needed to? My agent thought I needed to? My friends thought I needed to? Media thought I needed to? Well, these two dudes, uh, they don't speak a whole lot. So you never really know what makes them tick. They're not tuned in with that stuff a whole lot. They're just not. They, they march to the beat of their own drum, and I don't think either one of them is in a hurry to get out of where they are. The other aspect of this is the concept of stock falling, which I've always thought is ludicrous. What we're suggesting there is if I've got an opening at Pate State, Dave Aranda would have been good for me two years ago or last year, but 12 months later, he's not good enough. Matt Campbell, 24 months ago, he's good enough, but now he's not good enough. Like they became less as a head coach over the past 12 to 24 months. Like they forgot some things they knew. I know what the reality is at Baylor and Iowa State. History says if you have even one eight or nine win year, it should take you a couple of years to get back to that level even once. If you had multiple years like that, you're a superstar head coach. Period. So Matt Campbell, I don't care if the dude doesn't go to a bowl game this year. Superstar head coach. To me, he is. Dave Aranda, I know what he's about. 
So I don't care that they didn't repeat as Big 12 champions. Baylor shouldn't have any business doing that in the same conference as Texas and Oklahoma. and Oklahoma. They should not be there. The fact that he got them there to begin with created probably a false bubble of expectation uh, contributed to by yours truly. I don't think less of him. So if I was ready to hire him a year ago, I'd still be every bit as excited today if I had an opening and if he was interested. Uh, so their stock is not dropped for me at all, but I do understand the question because if we were to look at a classical hot board out there, and, and sadly, if you were to ask some ADs, yeah, their stock's probably dropped. I just, I've never believed in that. So there you go. Uh, a, a little thinner post-Christmas show, but hey, we got one in. It is what it is. We got college football playoff games coming up. We're right in the middle of bowl season. Appreciate you guys so much for being a part of the show. Make sure you're subscribing. Make sure you're following on the podcast side of things. Uh, that stuff helps us out greatly this time of year. There's no need to leave. Even after the season's over, we're year-round. There's no need to leave. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Pitt. We'll be back here live from Nashville Thursday night. Until then, take care. Have a great rest of your evening, and God bless. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.